HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio now in our 14th year. Wow, this is the weekend of the Craft Mall Conference, long awaited the first time in person in over three years, and we're in Portland, Maine, where I've never really been before. We're going to re- be recording a whole bunch of, of episodes, um, which will be you know, aired over the next couple of months into uh, you know, March and April and May of 2023. So we're starting off with, we're in Maine, so we're going to talk to some, some guys from Maine. Um, we're going to go around the room, and they're going to introduce themselves. Of course, they're from Allagash and Blue Ox Malt, which, is, which are a big feature of the conference because we are in Portland, Maine. But the gentleman, please introduce yourself. I'm Branch Rothschild. Uh, I'm uh, the brew house manager at Allagash Brewing and a board member of the Craft Maltsters Guild. Thanks for joining us, Branch. You know, Jason Perkins said, you got to talk to Branch. And oh, by the way, he's on the board of the Craft, Craft Malsters Guild. So thank you. And Hi, everybody. I'm Ben Clegg from Blue Ox Malt House. I'm the uh, business development specialist at Blue Ox. Thank you for having me, Jimmy. It's great. Um, there, there's a lot going on here in the world of malt. I think every expert, there's people here from Minnesota, Denmark with new technologies, Virginia, North Carolina, and, and beyond. And I've been lucky the last couple of years through the Craft Malsters Guild, and through Emily at Radcraft Pier, I've got to interview quite a few of the, the big names in, in craft mall. Well, these are two guys that are working, that are a very important part of that process. Um, they probably haven't been on too many podcasts, so this is the perfect perfect opportunity for me to, to talk to them. So let's start with Branch. Branch, just tell us about your background. You know, you've been at Allagash a long time. We're talking about Allagash, just your experience, your, your job, and how you got working in it. And then we'll also just talk about the evolution of uh, – Allagash using craft malt in, in your brewing? Um, yeah, I uh, I started Allagash uh, 15 years ago now, which kind of shocks me. Like, I never thought I would have a job that long. But uh, I started off before, it's my first brewing job. Before this, I was a baker uh, right here in Portland, um, which I also loved. But I didn't love the baker's hours, so I... Uh, I actually worked with someone else who still works at Allagash, Greg DeVito's wife, 
I was a baker with her, and uh, she was like, yeah, Allagash is looking for someone. And she knew I did some home brewing. I was into it, so I uh, applied and did a lot of kegging, a lot of bottling line, and just sort of worked my way up. You definitely did work your way up, man. All right, and then, Ben, a little intro from you about, you know, your work in the industry. I mean, you've been a brewer, too. Yeah, so I've, I've worked in the beer industry for um, about six and a half or so years now. Um, I worked at a brewery up in Portland for about five years, Lone Pine Brewing. Um, much like Branch, did a little bit of everything, primarily, uh, you know, cleaning kegs, filling kegs. That kind of graduated onto um, filling bottles and then in turn selling those bottles. Um, I helped out kind of start up our self-distribution for Lone Pine. Uh, which gave me kind of a good insight on on the lay of the land, as it were, and how much, you know, it was rapidly changing in Maine um, and still is. And then uh, most recently, I've jumped on ship with uh, Blue Ox Malt. So now I'm kind of on the ingredient side of things. They were a company that, you know, I was familiar with on the on the liquid side, but not really on the grain side. So that's been that's been really interesting for me, kind of jumping into, uh, yeah, the, uh, the good stuff, the barley. <laughs> so uh, as brewers, let's talk about, your evolution as brewers working with, you know, local or regional malt, like branch. Do you remember the first time that you, you were brewing with a local malt and, you know, a few anecdotes. Um, I think the first time we brewed with local malt was sort of local, uh, was, uh, we did a beer called Hume Alone, uh, which was one of the only hoppy beers we did back then. Uh, so we, it was uh, a fundraiser for Mafka, which is the main organic farmer, farmer and gardeners association. Uh, so we wanted to incorporate local grain into that, uh, out of respect for Maine, um, and it was really hard to source. Like we ended up having to source some through the Maine potato growers, but then it actually got sent up to Canada to be malted, and then back down through New York and back to us, and it didn't feel all that local. But that was our first chance to really use some local malt. And and what about brewing with that malt? I mean, was it different than working with the other commercial stuff you'd use? Um, it's a little different. I mean, it fundamentally, it's the same. Uh, we're, we're able to convert it. It's good malt. Um, we, I would say it's not all that different, uh, except in the sense that I do think it has some flavor differences, like we're getting, uh, back then everything was floor malted, uh, at least initially, uh, with all the main maltsters, um, which I think gives it a little different character than the commercial malt we were using. Great. And what about you, Ben? Um, I can actually remember, so one of the, one of the things that I fondly remember in my early days at Lone Pine, actually, one of our first grain deliveries came from Blue Ox, and it was actually Joel himself um, unloading the box truck. We didn't have a lift gate, so we ended up having to take every bag off the pallet and repalletize it, which was a bit of a process. But um, yeah, just, you know, seeing that kind of uh, level of care and, you know, having that connection with the people that were malting our grain made a big difference for us. Um, you know, having that relationship and, and now being on the blue ox side of things, it's nice, um, to, to kind of hear, you know, some of the struggles early on where the malt was kind of going from Maine to Canada, back to Maine, you know, we really like to be that sort of interface between Maine farms and Maine brewers, you know, kind of making sure everything, 
stays on that steady supply chain and stays within the state. You know, last night we were at Navari Res and we co-hosted a, a, a really great little mixer tasting with, with you guys and Katie and Dave from Blue Ox Malt. Um, there were some pretty cool beers there. Uh, do you want to tell me about a couple of them? Because I, I know that some of them were made with Blue Ox Malt. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, um, so we had 10 draft lines, all of which featured craft uh, malt in some capacity and furthermore, uh, Blue Ox in some capacity. Um, one of the uh, primary examples of that was Weathered Rake, which was brewed at Bellflower with four different craft uh, malts. So that was uh, Blue Ox, Main Malt House, Valley Malt, and Hudson Valley Malt. Um, and it was a Vienna-style uh, Keller beer and really turned out just wonderful. Um, most of the beers that we did feature tended to be a little bit more towards the malty side. Um, I think we only had one, maybe two IPAs on, uh, which was a nice change of pace. IPAs still being kind of one of the more talked about styles. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it, it was a, it was a great event. It's always nice to kind of be able to, you know, taste the end product because there is so much transformation between, you know, just like the raw barley and the hot steep to, you know, when we get to the, the final stages of fermentation. So yeah, it was, uh, it was good stuff. It's kind of time for the malt to shine too. Like you can only drink so many IPAs. Well, you know, it's, last night it, it was kind of my dream because I got to taste so many different malt-based beers that were made regionally from regional malts. But um, it it shifted my palate. I'm, I'm I talk about palate a lot because you know you drink something bitter, it's hard to go back. So after having a couple of the Northwood, um, it was the Dunkel that was made with Blue Ox malt, real nice Dunkel. It was exactly what I wanted when I walked in. I was, after my third one, I said, you know what? I might have had enough of this malt, and I want to go to the next level. And by mistake, I did take a hoppy pale ale. So you guys want to talk about the, the difference on your palate going from more malt-forward beer to a hoppy beer? Because I actually couldn't make the transition. Um, I'm not sure I'm great at making that transition either. Um, and I, I feel like there's a whole other level, too, where a lot of our beers are more yeast focused and you're getting a lot of that ester. It's almost another dimension at which you can work in. Um, I don't have a good way of transitioning. Like what, what should I, should I have had after that Dunkel lager that what, what style of beer might've been a good recommendation, even if it wasn't there. Um, Allagash White's always a good choice. <laughs> How about I, w- I was thinking like some kind of a celebrator, like a Doppelbach or something, another lager. And, and, and I think this whole thing is making me appreciate lagers. I, I wanted to say, and I said it to Jesse at the, 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 the guild, I said, you know, you guys should say um, talking malt, drinking lager, because it seems that that's a great way to represent it. What about you, Ben? The, the palate shift going from malty beers, what, what, what? You know, would you go up and wait? You know, how, how would you go? Have you had this nice Dunkel Lager? What else can you drink? Yeah, I, I'd probably step into either, you know, the the maltier direction, or I would just go for something that's a little bit yeast-focused, like a Belgian style. Um, the the thing about hops is that it's, it's sort of like a compounding uh, flavor, as it were. You know, it's like eating something spicy. Um, palate fatigue is a real thing. Uh, anybody who's ever been to a beer fest and has tried more than you know, five double IPAs knows that, you know, after that you're kind of subdued on the palate 
So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think hoppy beers kind of exist within their own very prominent lane. But, um, yeah, I, I would have either sprung for a, a palate cleanser like Allagash White or, or just kind of leaned into the, the malty stuff, you know. I, I will say, too, when, I, when I'm out sometimes, if I've had a couple of drinks, I always want to go to the double IPA just because once you're there, you can't go back, right? And I think another good option might be like going more with something roasty, like uh, still malt forward, but with some of that roast astringency to kind of clean off the palate a bit and change it up. Yeah. So how how do you, how do you go more malt forward? If if I have a Dunkel, I'm just using that because or whether it's a Czech lo- Czech dark lager or a Dunkel, what do you mean by more malt? Do you mean things like roasted malts or just more gravity? I would say. Um... You know, you could even venture outside of the lager realm into, you know, porters and stouts. Um, a Baltic porter would probably be a great fit for something like that. You get a little bit of sweetness, but you also have some of that roasted character. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's there's multiple avenues that you can kind of go from a Dunkel. I mean, I think that that's a pretty good starting point as far as, uh, you know, the first beers of the night for, you know, an event like that. But um yeah, I would say even even smoked malt. I mean, you know, the more playful that you can get on the malt side, you know, from there, the the better. But yeah, and let's keep keep talking about your roasted malt. And then we're also going to talk about how you how the yeast, you know, whatever makeup of that beer is also going to let you go to that next level. Well, I guess uh, with the moving to a more roasted malt would just sort of, I feel like it almost cuts through more. Whereas like when you're getting those real grainy kind of uh, mouth coating, I mean, which is delicious. Uh, sometimes that can get more fatiguing. And I feel like some of that roastiness and astringency can, you're still having that, but it's helping cut through some of it. I mean, if you're if it's appropriate to the style. Uh, and then, I don't know, I'm a big fan of, you know, Belgian style yeast. Uh, and I just feel like that adds like a nice kind of, it's more of an aromatic component. Um, I like, I realize that you taste it all in the mouth, but the, uh, a lot of, even the graininess is like a aromatic compound, but pairing that with some esters and phenols that you might get from your yeast are a nice, a nice way to go. And uh, right now I'm drinking the Allagash 16 counties to, to me, there's it's a myth myth beer because people have talked about it. It doesn't often get out outside of Maine. So I think once I had one keg in, in New York City about three or four years ago. Um, tell me about that beer because now that you're talking about yeast, I'm tasting yeast wh- and what malts are in that beer. So let's talk about the 16 counties and what it is, and I think Ben's going to weigh in too. Uh, so 16 counties is uh, made entirely with Maine grown and sourced and malted uh, grain. So we get... Uh, malt from Blue Ox, malt from uh, Maine Malt House. Uh, we've got oats from Aurora Mills and grain, and Aurora Mil- Farm and Mills, and uh, Maine Grain uh, Wheat. Maine Grains is uh, another mill here in Maine and Skowhegan. So it's all those, uh, and it's actually bittered with hops, also grown in Maine at uh, the hop yard and in at Aroostook Hops up in Aroostook. Um, so that was the beer. When we made that Hume alone, it sort of inspired us to 
maybe try to go further with that. Uh, and it was right around the time when Blue Ox and Maine Maltas were starting, uh, and we realized it could actually become a reality. So that's sort of how we started with the beer. We stopped distributing it in New York, which is probably why you haven't seen it. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's great to drink that here, but th there's something about it that's, uh, you know, it's calling me back. I'm going to drink more of those. And Ben, do you, do you want to talk about the 16 counties and some of the other beers that, that you, you guys are providing malt for in Maine? Yeah, um, 16 counties is, is kind of one of the perfect examples of sort of Blue Ox's um, mission as a company and a malt house, um, you know, just really trying to fortify that connection between the main farms and the main brewers and then eventually, you know, main beer drinkers. Um, I, th I think that it's, it, it's a pretty illustrious uh, conglomeration of people and to be able to kind of be a connection between all of them is, is really where we want to be. And, and seeing that in liquid form is, it's great. It's uh, and it's on top of that, it's a delicious beer, but um, you know, we, we talk about locality a lot and terroir and things like that. And, you know, how much of that is expressed in flavor, notwithstanding um, just being able to, you know, fortify the kind of, the ecosystem of the beer industry is, is really nice. You know, Allagash does that with every beer they make. Um, Maine's a fiercely loyal state. You know, a lot of what we've been talking about is Maine, but even thinking about locality is like a 300 mile radius, you know, Northwoods, which we brewed with, uh, we did the Dunkel with them, 100% our malt. That's, uh, you know, that's just as local, you know, as far as it goes. I mean, it's over state lines, but I mean, they're right in our backyard still, so just kind of being able to be part of that sort of New England beer ecosystem is, is definitely a privilege. So wh where do you guys drink in this area? Cause I'm, I'm going to, I'm still here for a couple of days. I'm going out. I was at Novari Res. I'm going to go back and drink more of those craft malt beers on tap. Where else do you drink? Uh, I drink a lot at work. No, I don't. <laughs> uh, no, I go to Novari Res a lot. Uh, just there. I took it for granted for a long time, but it, Going to other towns, I didn't realize just how good I had it having Navarre here. Uh, I go there. Maps is another bar I like, uh, kind of downstairs, uh, basement bar. Um, my cousin has a restaurant here, so I find myself headed there a lot. It's Terlingua, which is a barbecue place, but has a nice bar. Uh, and my local is probably the zoo. It's the closest bar to where I live, and... Uh, it's kind of a nice scene, indoor, outdoor. Um, I like there a lot, too. It's a pr pretty cool drinking scene. Oh, wait, I'm not done. Uh, and then, like, we just have so many bars, uh, so many breweries that also have tasting rooms. So I find myself going to those a lot. Rising Tide. I mean, just in my neighborhood, Rising Tide and Austin Street and Good Fire and Bellflower and UFF and Oxbow. Like, uh, Root Wild. Uh, Apre, those are all like within a 50 or 10 minute walk from my house, five minute walk. So is, is there a, some, at a couple of those places you mentioned, is there a go-to drink there or, or, or are things always rotating? Um, there are go-to drinks there. It all depends which one I'm going to, but uh, I try to try new things just so I, I know what's all know what's happening uh i used to be able to like know all the local breweries and what they're releasing and what to get but there are too many now so 
I have to ask. Well, that, you know, talking to Branch and Ben, there's a lot of talent in, in, in Portland. You know, it's it's not a very it's a big state geographically, but it's not really a big state. And I heard before that that um, you know Joel from Blue Ox, they were talking about just how Maine buys Maine and, and the local importance. But there's a lot of really talented people in this town. Thank you. I knew that. I was setting you up. <laughs> and Ben, what about you? Places to go in in, in Portland? Branch covered most of my. Um you know, my, my sort of local, uh, watering holes, but, um, the, the few that, that I think I would mention in addition to that, uh, the great lost bear, they're, uh, an institution that long predates me even being alive. <laughs> and, um, they, you know, they, I think they have upwards of 70 taps. Um, you know, they ferociously carry main beer, you know, whether it's, the newest brewery or, you know, breweries that have been established for a long time. Um, so that's a great place to try beers that might not necessarily make it all over the state. Um, some of the smaller, you know, more Northern breweries in, in the state of Maine. And then, um, the thirsty pig, uh, holds a, a special place in my heart because, uh, was one of the first places that I had a beer after turning 21. So, um, that was, that was, it's just sort of, it was an Narragansett. It wasn't anything too, crafty, but still local. Um, and then, uh, uh, a, a bar that probably doesn't get many shout outs in terms of craft beer, but is one that I find myself at quite a bit is Howie's pub. Um, you can find, you know, extremely fresh local offerings from Allagash, Bissell, Lone Pine, you know, they've got a constantly rotating selection of, uh, you know, local stuff as well as, you know, your sort of uh, macro mainstays. So it's, you know, definitely a place to check out if you're in town off the beaten path a little bit, not on the peninsula, but just, you know, just over on outer Washington. So, yeah. Well, that's great. Hold on. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. This episode is supported by HRN business members, the restaurants Popina and Gus's Chop House rooted in being welcoming places for people to gather over great food and wine in their Brooklyn neighborhoods. Popina in the Columbia Street Waterfront District is a neighborhood restaurant that slings pasta, hot chicken, and champagne. And Gus's Chop House in Carroll Gardens takes inspiration from European chop houses and casual bistros. The restaurants support HRN's creative, educational reporting and storytelling that drive conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's our 14th year, and uh, join us, become a member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. So we're up in Portland, Maine. This is our first session at the Craft Malt Conference, talking with Branch from Allagash Brewing and Ben from Blue Ox Malt. So you're smiling over there, Branch. This is like the this is this is a great time, right? Craft Malt Conference, brewers being in Allagash, Allagash being here in Portland. Yeah, it's great. Uh, maltsters are the nicest, um, and it's great. Uh, we've been trying to put this together for the last three years, and uh, I think there's some sort of global issue or something that happened. But we're finally here together, and it's really nice to finally meet everybody in person. Okay, let's dive deep. So you, you know, you're a, a, the brewery manager. Again, what's the full title that you have? Uh, Brewhouse manager. Brewhouse manager, and then and Ben is at Blue Ox Malt. So let's talk shop. So 
you're getting the, the, the nuts and bolts deliveries coming in, the malt coming in to t- talk. Let's talk about that process. Cause I like to know those things and our listeners do too. You guys can talk together. You know, what's it like getting malt, you know, how off, how far ahead do you order it? You know, and maybe in particular with blue ox malt, let's talk about some insider trade stuff. Well, I think the big thing for us with blue ox and local maltsters is just, uh, being able to communicate really well. And like when we have issues, uh, they're very responsive. And like, I know, I know I can call up Joel and talk to him about it. Or if I were to say, forget to order something for a beer we're brewing the next day, I can like drive up to Lisbon Falls and pick it up, uh, which I can't do with places based in the Midwest. Uh, But on the other hand, like we try to be flexible with them too. So in terms of our ordering, we, basically have we've tried to commit as much as we can to say how much we're going to buy for the year and have more or less a set schedule where we get them uh, just so that they can have that steady demand in their production schedule. Um, A big part of it for us is just having, you know, very solution oriented adaptability and learning the production schedules of the breweries that we're partnered with. Um, you know, some, some of the breweries are on the larger side and they have flagships. Some of them are much smaller and much more experimental and just being able to kind of constantly accommodate those needs through, you know, our production schedule to make sure that we have product available so that, you know, they can make the good stuff. So like a typical delivery, how, how much malt are you getting from Blue Ox? Um, one thing we do with Blue Ox that I appreciate is uh, we're basically buying a full uh, malt floor at a time, so 8,000 pounds, uh, and we get everything in super sacks, more or less everything in super sacks, so giant totes that hold 2,000 pounds. Um, so we'll get those on a regular basis. I forget the exact, it's every three weeks, I think. About that, yep. Yeah. Um, so one of a, another nice thing that we have set up with Blue Ox is uh, we don't like wasting plastic so uh we've set it up so that we can actually reuse the super sacks like they have super sacks set up for us we clean them out uh package them up and they actually get returned and refilled so we're not it's not a one-time use thing which is kind of an important thing for us how many truckloads is that so generally we're getting in you know about like 19 super sacks of raw barley when we get a, a grain shipment of raw grain that's to be malted, and then we'll send out, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, a, it's about a half a truck, I guess. A half a truck of product, or it depends on the size of the truck, I suppose. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's about a truck, um, you know, a, a box truck of, of grain every every three weeks. And then, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's quite a bit. I mean, it, it, it really is a lot of grain coming in and a lot of grain going out. Um, we have a you know a turnaround time of you know about a, about a week, so that's that's kind of what we're working with as far as production time. Um, so really, yeah, like I said, it's about understanding the production schedule of the breweries that we're working with, so we can kind of stay. You know, if if the beer is in the tank for three weeks, you know, we want to be three weeks ahead of that with the malt. You know, just kind of making sure that we're always properly pacing so that we can you know fit all those supply chain needs. And um, that, that allows us to give kind of a, a layer of predictability to f- the farmers that we work with. Um, 
they're working on a, a much larger scale. I mean, I think one harvest would be enough grain for us for close to a year, at least at our current size. So that's, um, you know, something to kind of consider while we're, you know, moving forward with ordering raw product and converting it into malt. Yeah, and Branch, um, jumping ahead, what malt for what beers? Um, we kind of play it two ways. We have malts that we use in specific beers, uh, local malt. So like River Trip is a beer we make uh, that's just about 50% local malt, and it's all blue ox malt. Uh, originally, when we were developing the recipe, it's sort of an evolution of another recipe we used to do, uh, hoppy table beer. And that was using uh, Maris Otter, uh, which is uh, English style floor malted malt, generally floor malted. Uh, what we got was floor malted. So when we were changing the recipe and adjusting it, uh, one of the things we wanted to do was uh, use more Blue Ox's malt because we thought it was a good pairing. It's also floor malted. It had some of the same characteristics we were looking for. Uh, so in that case, we did call for a specific malt. Uh, but the other approach we take, like with white, um, it's a smaller portion. It's about 10% of the overall malted barley. So in that case, we're more flexible because uh, we also are using main malt house. And in that case, we more or less use blue ox interchangeably with main malt. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Good, that's his filler. Um, <laughs> these guys, this is great being at the conference. Um, nobody's really coming in prepared to talk about, but these guys have a lot of knowledge and, and a lot of working knowledge, so I'm really happy to be to be with them. Ben, uh, m matching malts with beers, you know, what about when you have a new brewery or you've got a new malt? You know, there's a sales aspect to it and education. You know, how, how do you, how does someone figure out what malt, not just the type of barley, but like the malt that you guys have, you know, is it all trial and error or you go in with a recipe for people? I, I, a lot of it is just kind of asking the right questions, figuring out, you know, what, what's the flavor that they're trying to achieve? You know, what, what's the, the style that they're trying to achieve the color? Um, you know, th that's all stuff that we have access to through quality control, through our lab work, you know, we're, we're testing our SRM We're you know, so we, we kind of try to get an idea of what, you know, what does the beer want to look like, taste like, et cetera. You know, where do you want to end up in terms of ABV? And from there, we can kind of build out through the variety that we have in our portfolio. Um, a good example is, you know, you, you can achieve haze in beer through a number of ways. Um, we offer uh, chip malt, which is a relatively under-modified malt that will um, kind of bestow some of the characteristics of sort of that grassiness that raw barley has, as well as uh, a lot of protein. So you can get some haze through that. Um, you could also do it through flaked oats. Um, there's, there's multiple ways to kind of achieve that. And it's really just about honing in on what the brewery is, you know, trying to, to produce in the end product. Um, not to do sales for you, but also like sometimes you just bring samples and they taste delicious. Um, and that kind of inspires people. Like we have a big, uh, pilot program so we're constantly brewing and trying new beers and pretty often they're like inspired by something that blue ox has dropped off or another supplier has dropped off where it's like this is something really cool something we want to work with you know how can we use this 
Um, and another aspect of that that I think Blue Ox has really pushed and the Craft Malt Guild in general has pushed is the hot steep method for uh, malt evaluation. And then, so you're on the, the, the board of the Craft Monsters Guild. What, what, are, what are the things that are being talked about? I, I know that developing the hot steep method was important, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, it's hard to, getting people to realize the differences in malts and tasting it in a consistent way. Like you can kind of describe based on chewing the grain, but really you want it in that liquid. And uh, it was a way to just make it consistent across the board, like much easier to compare uh, different malts in a consistent and repeatable way. That's kind of like if you're a buyer of coffee beans, something similar. Yeah, I think it would be like cupping. I don't know if you've ever done a cupping with the slurping of the spoon, but yeah, it's a similar idea. I've only done cupping in the new age, you know, healing up now. <laughs> um, more, more about this, because I, I think about the numbers of, of the data of, of testing and, and malt. You know, it, there are times that you just need certain malts that fit your numbers for production, right? And, and, and it's helpful that you have the testing. But do you always do the hot steep and, and try out the malt since there could be variations are there, you know, with all the numbers, do the numbers tell you everything in the tests that tasting doesn't? Both of you answer that one. Uh, the numbers are great for allowing consistency, but we do a hot steep on every piece that we do. So every time we run a floor of malt and it, it comes out of the kiln, we do run a, a sensory on that. Um, and that's also something that we do like to share with our customers when we drop off samples or we have them at the malt house. Um, kind of to circle back to something that we talked about at the beginning of this, um, you know, with ingredients, uh, there's a lot of sort of, you know, we were talking about palate and double IPAs and how do you not, you know, fatigue your palate. Um, multi beers tend to be, I think they have a lot of nuance to them. And I think that that kind of lends to between different varieties of malt. There are some very minute, but you know, absolute differences. And so being able to, you know, do a side by side between, all right, this is a, pale a vienna and a light munich and you know they might all kind of have a center of the venn diagram but they also branch out in different ways and they're gonna you know offer different flavors after fermentation so um yeah just being able to have that you know access to uh the sensory program that we have and also being able to extend that to our customers is, is really important to us um we don't do a hot steep on every batch we receive every lot we receive just because we don't have that much bandwidth to do that. Um, we do it regularly, uh, but not for everyone. Um, and the numbers, we look at the numbers. They're all supplied, and we expect to get them. Um, but for the most part, we're just looking for outliers. Uh, if we're making white beer, we don't. And they send a pail that's a very dark pail. We probably won't use it for white because... Uh, It'll make it no longer white. It'll make it orange. Uh, so in that sense, we're looking for some numbers. But in general, not as, not too strongly. So a lot of the knowledge of, of craft malt from, from farmers to monsters to brewers has really grown a lot in, in the last 10 years. Um, is there something that I'm missing? Like, the, you know, in that story, you told me how you guys made a first beer with craft malt and then you you make 16 counties all the time 
um, that Maine's special, a lot of the local economy. But is there something missing in that story from like five or 10 years ago that, I don't know, there's, there's probably something in there. I'm making Branch think, because he's a thinker. Uh, looks are deceiving. Um, I guess I'm not quite sure I understand the question. Uh, I don't either. So <laughs> I'm just trying to go a little deeper with you guys in the, you know, Ben, take a stab in it, because I, I, I've heard um, part of the Blue, the Blue Ox malt story. Yeah, I think I, I think a lot of it is, um, I mean, if you look at the last 10 years, the beer industry in Maine, both in terms of style and just sheer, you know, numbers has changed quite a bit. Um, you know, growth is a good word for it, but it doesn't really encompass exactly what's kind of happened. And obviously, you know, the last three years have kind of been unique, to, for lack of a better term, given the, you know, just circumstances of the world. But um, yeah, gosh, I'm trying, it's hard to put into words. I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily use the term Renaissance. I think that this has been kind of a long time coming. Um, you know, the, the, the precursors of this sort of local craft beer movement kind of started and gosh, I mean, I couldn't even put a date to it. It'd have to be the eighties, um, before my time for sure. 70. Yeah. I mean, and it, but it's changed a bunch and, um, you know, the one thing that hasn't necessarily changed is that you need barley to make beer. And that's kind of what's been nice, you know, at Blue Ox establishing, you know, us as sort of a local bastion for, you know, being a support uh, system for agriculture, as well as being able to allow breweries to offer, you know, the best product available to the end consumer. And Branch, um, a little more. I think I, have, I think I have an answer for you now. I think the hard part is uh, just educating the consumer. Like uh, at this point, you know, people, if they see Citra, they know what that means. They know hops by name and kind of getting malt to that level where it's like people know, like we're at the point where people don't even necessarily know that beer is made with barley. So educating the end consumer, getting them to appreciate these nuances and want to buy them. I think is sort of like a goal. Um, just appreciating the what goes into pe what people consume. Yeah, and and is there anything? There's a couple great sessions uh, here at the at the conference. Is is there any session that you, you're either, you know both looking forward to attending, or someone here that you've enjoyed meeting? I'm really looking forward to learning more about distilling. Um, I think distilling is definitely relative to beer underrepresented in Maine. Um, and it's definitely where I know the least as far as, you know, the alcohol industry and the way that grain interfaces with it goes. I mean, I, I, I'm excited to see some of the, you know, topics on single malt distilling and, um, you know, barley performance and distilling, what's important, things like that. I mean, I have a general sense, but that's kind of what, you know, that's, that's sort of the next frontier for, for me personally. Um, and that's not to say that there's not more I can learn about beer because, uh, you know, the longer I feel like you spend in the beer industry, the more there is to learn in some ways. But, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely, you know, where my focus is. And then, and then just seeing some of the, um, insights as to, you know, where, where pallets are going. Um, you know, we can guess all day, but, um, 
I don't think anybody predicted Seltzer, and I think people thought it was a here today, gone tomorrow type thing, and it's still kind of here. So, <laughs> but and Branch, uh, for me, uh, I got I'm a little myopic, and like that might not be right, but insular, like everything is Maine, and that's sort of what I've known about malt for a while. Um, and being able to just see how other, or craft malt anyway, and being able to see how other places are are growing barley, malting barley, and how the wider world's doing it. So meeting all these maltsters from California and Norway and France and Virginia and Colorado, I think a lot of it's just getting a wider view of the world of craft malt. Great. And then, so when I'm, I'm visiting Portland, um, can I visit Allagash? What, what's available for tourists? Uh, yeah, you can come visit Allagash. Uh, when are you coming? I'll give you a tour. Um, we are open. Let me see. Make sure I get this right. Uh, we did, we're, the tasting room is closed on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but we're open uh, Thursday through Monday. Um, I think we opened at 11, and last call is five, 6, I believe. You should check the website. But. All right, thanks, man. It's definitely on, on the list of anyone coming to Portland. And Blue Ox Malt can 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 uh, people come and and take tours? I know yesterday there was a big tour for the conference. We we always uh, offer industry tours to you know our partners in breweries and distilleries. Um, I don't know that at this very moment we're offering tours to the public. That is something that we have done before, and it's definitely something that we're interested in doing. Um, but uh, yeah, as as of right now, we're not we're not open to the public. But um, we do like letting people see, you know, what's kind of going on behind the scenes. That is sort of a big part in, like you said, kind of establishing more ingredient affinity, at least, or getting us, you know, as barley uh, malters, getting us a little bit closer to where hops are in terms of recognition as an ingredient. That's great. And let's to wrap it up. Uh, either one of you, I'd like to say, do you have a question for the other guest? Um, I'm sure you do. You can take a minute and think about it. I'm going to say that um, Branch is very polite because um, many, many guests who come on will say it's okay to curse. And I said, I don't usually say it's not, but he did not curse. So, <laughs> but you can curse. No, I wouldn't even know the words. Um, I was curious, Are you? if you are going to do tours, uh, will you have a tasting room as part of that? Will you be able to get samples? Uh, well, in addition to hot steeps, we do like to, in, in addition to hot steeps, we do like to offer, you know, trying some of the, uh, stuff that showcases our product, um, you know, within, within reason. Um, but I, I, I mean, gosh, as a, as personally, you know, and I can't speak on Joel's behalf, but, um, I would love to be able to set up, uh, some sort of a draft system at the malt house so that we could, you know, have beers being presented in, you know, I think probably the most uh, suitable format for quality um, that being draft. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's just a pipe dream at this point, but. Another question. Oh, maybe just finish the uh, expansion before you move on to that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, we do have uh, uh, other irons in the fire currently as it were. Um, yeah. We're working through an expansion right now, um, which we're very excited about. It's going to, uh, increase our capacity quite a bit and allow us some flexibility to really, um, you know, get more variety and, and just kind of allow us to be 
you know, even yet even more accommodating to breweries production schedules, you know, in terms of both base malt and specialty product. And then Ben, do you have a question for Branch? You know, and maybe put your sales cap on. I was going to ask, uh, what's your favorite color? <laughs> I, um, uh, I actually, I, I do have, uh, so what was the transition from um, bottles to cans like for Allagash? Can you, can you speak to that at all? Is that? Good question. That, 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 I can loaded, but I can speak a little bit. I don't handle the packaging or I try not to. I mean, unless I'm drinking it. Um, but it was a major transition for us. Uh, we put in the canning line in 2019, and uh, the timing probably couldn't have been better. Like, we were very, very draft heavy. We're still pretty draft heavy as a brewery. Um, but during the pandemic, there weren't a lot of bars and restaurants open. So, like, draft was gone just all of a sudden. And the fact that we were able to pivot and can a lot and bottle a lot. Um, made basically it would have been a, even more of a struggle without being able to do that um, so it was a big pivot uh, we're basically in production four days a week and I think we're at the point now where canning we're canning more often than we're bottling and personally like we get beer we get a case of beer every week uh, to take home and do quality control on uh, and I kind of was a purist, and I was like, oh, bottles are the right way. But it turns out I take cans home more often than bottles, so it's a good package. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Branch from Allagash Bruin and Ben from Blue Ox Malt, one of our first interviews at Craft Malt Conference in Portland, Maine. Really appreciate you guys joining me. Big shout-out to Armin Spengen, our engineer, who's going to clean this up, and this will be airing sometime in March 2023. Thanks so much, guys. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time. Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. All right. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.